Hey everybody, welcome to the Pursue God podcast. I'm Brian, joined in the studio once again by Peter and Zach. And guys, we're going to continue talking about anxiety. Last time we talked about the secret to overcoming anxiety from Philippians chapter 4, sort of the anxiety chapter in the Bible. Today we're going we're gonna to drill down a little bit more. We're going to talk about control. In, in particular, we're going to talk about control freaks and why control freaks get so anxious. But but I think we should start by acknowledging this, what I call this illusion of control. You know, I think we live in society where we think we have more control than we really do, right? We can walk into a room and say, let there be light. And the light turns on just like God in Genesis chapter one. And so we, it's like we're our own little gods, lowercase g, in our homes. Uh, we have all this information at the touch of our fingers on our on our phones. I mean, I, I have to admit it, like it's addicting, right? And you get this sense that we're in control. You get this sense that we have, we can see where our kids are going. We can, we, we can stay in touch with all of our friends. We, we have control of our little kingdoms. But, but is it true or is it just an illusion? I think, I think we all could, we'll probably tell you, if, um, you know, over the next little while um, and through our, through the past little bit of history that it's absolutely an illusion. I think yeah, our culture right now is telling us that um, we obviously have so much information and we have so much data at our fingertips. It's easy to look up something. It's easy to see where our kids are at. It's easy to see where our spouses are at. It's easy when you're working on something at work to go find another deliverable that was done the exact same way, right? So, um, the, it's truly illusion in that, like the information, the data that we have, gives us the ability to control things more. When in reality, um, it's probably controlling us, mm-hmm. and it's not. It's not allowing us. Yeah, as I suffered through probably the hardest anxiety of my life, I I recall just asking over and over and over again, "I want to feel normal. I want to feel myself. I want to." I want to get back to what I was doing yesterday. I want to get back to the way I was feeling last week. And when I look back at it now, I realize what I was just asking was, I want control. Because at that time, I no longer had control. There was no control in my life that, that I can look at and say, I was driving that bus or I was in control. And, and it was scary, and I had to come to terms with that. I think for all three of us and our stories of dealing with anxiety kind of late, later in life, I, I guess you would say, like we didn't, we didn't grow up feeling anxious like a lot of young people do, but later in life we, something triggered it, and I think we all realized that control was at the root of it. Now, I, I know for me, I didn't realize it right away. As I was exploring it, as I, as I was doing the work to, to deal with my anxiety, I realized control was at the root of this thing. I didn't, I, I wouldn't have called myself a control freak, but I think I was. I think we all are. I think we all try to control our own. There's parts of either our legacy, our work life, you know, for you, Peter, your health. And when you realize, wait a second, my lung can just collapse? Yeah. Just randomly it can collapse? I didn't know it could do that. And now you realize, I have no control over that. I, I, I don't decide if my lung collapses or not. And it begin, it, you begin to ask these questions, and for a lot of people, it does. It causes anxiety, doesn't it? Oh, the, the anxiety that it causes can be crippling, and you're, you're absolutely right. I, I, can, I can just remember getting that diagnosis and just looking at the doctor saying, I'm not a smoker. I go to the gym four times a week. Like, I eat healthy, 
I haven't been in a car wreck. I played hockey, but I didn't get a cracked rib. Mm. Like, why did my lung collapse? And they just looked at me and said, we don't know. So here's a doctor, a medically trained mm -hmm. professional that he can't even answer it. Mm -hmm. He's in control, right, of my medical health at that time, or so we think, but he doesn't even know why it happened. And so it, it really sent me into a place that I had to, I had to, I had to deal with some things. I had to, I had to answer some questions. Yeah, you know, years ago I had my own little health scare. I had this tumor that the doctors thought was cancerous. And when I met with some specialists, I, I, I said to the doctor, kind of your story reminds me of this, Peter. I said to the doctor, I'm like, where did this tumor come, comes from? come from? He said, boy, if we could answer that question. <laughs> he said, the bigger question is why, why don't we all have tumors all the time? And I remember thinking to myself, oh my gosh. Like, and it, it, it comes back to that verse where it talks about that, that Jesus sustains all things by the power of his word. That, that the reason, I think biblically, the reason I don't have a tumor all the time is because Jesus is sustaining me. The reason your, your lung doesn't collapse right now is because Jesus is sustaining you. And we're going to learn, really, even when that did happen to you a year ago, Peter, that we're going to learn today that that was maybe more of a gift than we realize, mm. right, because of how it opened your eyes. I think that's true for all of us. But let's go back. Let's just talk a little bit about our definition for, uh, for anxiety from last time. We talked... Oxford defines it like this. It says it's a feeling of worry, nervousness, or unease, typically about an imminent event or something with an uncertain outcome. And we're gonna today we're gonna add to that definition our own little addition to that. We're gonna say an uncertain outcome that you can't control. That's really I think what we've learned about anxiety is the event's not the problem. The the reason we're so scared is because we realize we have this epiphany that we're not in control. We thought we were in control, but we're not. So let, with that in the backdrop, let's go back to Philippians 4. Okay, last week we looked at verses 6 and 7. Today we're going to look at, we're going to actually back up a couple verses, and we're going to look at verses 4 and 5. And it says this, Paul writes this to the church in Philippi. Always be full of joy in the Lord. I say it again, rejoice. Let everyone see that you're considerate in all you do. Remember, he says, the Lord is coming soon. Now, I, when, I, when I read Philippians 4, there's so, we're going to be in that this, throughout this whole series. There's so much in there that relates to all different types of anxiety. But this is one kind of anxiety I think we just need to hit on for a second. Because I think, guys, we all realized our mortality. I think that was part of what was going on is we realized that we're mortal. And I think women know this, but I think boys don't know this. I think this guy, you know, my son is invincible. Someday he's going to realize he's mortal, that his life will end someday. And so when I, when I read those verses, that verse, remember the Lord is coming soon, I think Paul, when he writes that to the Philippians, that's supposed to be encouraging to them because they'd, they'd endured suffering and persecution and Paul was in prison. And so it was like an encouraging statement for him to say, hey, that's all right, guys, the Lord is coming soon. This is not your home. This is not what it's all about. God's going to rescue you someday. You're going to be with him someday. That was encouraging 2,000 years ago to Christians. I don't know about for you guys, but for me today, I read that, and that brings some fear into me. Like, I don't think I'm ready to go. I've, I love my life. I love what I've built, and I think that's part of the problem. We, 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 have, we have so much perceived control in our lives, which is so different from Christians for millennia, that I think that's why Christians deal with anxiety more than they did 2,000 years ago. Yeah, 
that's that's a very interesting concept of the fact of loving your life, right? I think it's a lot easier for us in America to quote unquote love our life than many people in other countries who aren't as 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 blessed as we are, um, who who are in the situations that we are. But um, you know, I think about um, when I think about the culture that we live in. You know, several phrases come to come to mind to me. It's uh, you know, I always hear, are you living your best life, mm. right? Or, uh, you know, I always think of the song, don't worry, be happy, right? It's all about being happy. Um, I also think of, you know, when I, when I talk to my daughter or when I talk to folks at work, they want life to be easy, and they don't, and they don't want it to be hard. And none of these ideas are biblical whatsoever. Jesus, Jesus didn't say life's going to be easy, that you're always going to be happy, and that you're always going to be living your best life. But, but as, I, as I think about, quote-unquote, loving my life and, and what that looks like, I, I look back to two years ago uh, when we had our, our little boy, and then a year ago when we had our little girl, and the first thought that came to my mind was, I've got to live for at least 18 more years. <laughs> like, I've got to at least get them to college. And just like you mentioned, I had never in my life, in the first 37 years of my life, considered my own mortality, considered when I would die or what that would look like. But now I was considering, I've got to live at least 18 more, right? right? I've got to get them there. Right. And then all these thoughts come in of, well, what, you know, what about my heart? My, my dad had a heart attack at, at late 50 and, and um, you know, I'm stressed out. I've got high blood pressure. All of these things come up in my mind and in my heart and in my body, which I think caused me to to have the anxiety and the panic that I did. And so that concept of loving my life so much that I don't want to leave my life for a life that Paul is describing as being better with God, right? I, I'm I'm totally there, right? I don't I don't want to leave this earth. But the reality is how much better is it gonna be when we do? Well, and that's the irony, right, is, we, is that we, <clears throat> we have the wrong, essentially the wrong priorities and the wrong picture, and this actually adds to our anxiety. Our comfort, our comfortable lives, our lives where we have this illusion of control actually, I think, increases our anxiety. It doesn't decrease our anxiety. You, and you, I'm sure that people from 20 years ago thinking about this day and age would say, oh, life must be so much better for you guys, you have the internet now, you have phones in your pocket, you have all this access to information, you can be so much more productive, you can do so much more now, you can keep track of your kids now. And I think the answer, what we've realized is, no, I don't, I don't, I don't think that's decreased our anxiety, I think it actually has made it worse. I think what's happened is we've, we've, we've got too many distractions, and when we have those distractions, we just end up being busybodies. We just end up doing thing after thing after thing, and we never give our bodies and our mind time to rest. And I think if you look at 20 or 30 years ago, when these distractions didn't exist at the level that they do today, I think people had to get together in real relationships with people. They had to have conversation. They had to have relationship. You had a Sunday dinner. You, you had the things in life that just allowed you to slow down and just be in the moment and I think the distractions that we're feeling today put us in that anxiety place. Yeah, Paul talks about this, this idea of this thorn in the flesh. And I, I want people to think about anxiety 
like a thorn in the flesh. You know, we, I, I think in my life, guys, I think you would realize, you guys have recognized this is true for you as well, is that anxiety was a warning sign for you. It was a sort of a wake-up call for all of us, that it brings us back down to earth. It reminds us of the reality of our condition. It helps us to depend on God. It shows us that our reliance needs to be on on God. Paul talks about the thorn in the flesh in these terms. In, in 2 Corinthians 12, he says, to keep me from being proud, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger from Satan to torment me and keep me from becoming proud. Now, we don't know what that thorn in the flesh is. Uh, theologians have thought maybe it was, he, we know that he had probably poor eyesight. Maybe he was going blind. Maybe that was a thorn in the flesh for him. Maybe it was some other physical condition. When I read this, I, I totally can relate this to anxiety. I, you know, I, again, I don't know if that's what it was. We'll ask him when we get to heaven someday if we'll even care about it. But I, when I read this verse, I think about anxiety being my thorn in the flesh. He said, Paul says, three different times I begged the Lord to take it away. I know we all begged the Lord to take away our panic attacks. And he says, each time he said, my grace is all you need. My power works best in weakness. And so Paul says this, so now I'm glad to boast about my weakness. Again, I can relate to this because at first I desperately prayed to God, God, you've got to change this. I can't handle this. I can't, I can't, we've all said this before, guys, I can't keep living like this. And so I begged God to take it away. I remember for the first couple of weeks, I, my prayer to God was as, as intense as it's ever been because I was so desperate and, and God really didn't ultimately take it away. But I do feel like he said, like he did to Paul, look, I'm trying to teach you something here, and my power works best in weakness. So Paul's conclusion is, now I'm glad to boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ can work through me. That's why I take pleasure in my weaknesses and in the insults, the hardships, the persecutions and troubles that I suffer for Christ. And then he, he finishes this with this, this statement. He says, for when I am weak, then I am strong. So Again, I think we can see anxiety for people who are out there listening to this because they're, looking, they're searching for some answers for their anxiety. I want to challenge you to think about your anxiety as a gift from God, that it's a thorn in the flesh that can teach you to depend on God. And God will use your anxiety to work in you and even to work through you. Yeah, for me, my anxiety was definitely a warning sign. I had misaligned everything in my life. Um, 12-hour work days were the norm for me. Uh, sleep pattern, um, I was stressed all the time. How to be in control of everything, money, where we went, what time we did stuff. I mean, I was in total control. And really, this major medical emergency that I experienced basically just put me right on my back. And for about a month, I had no control. Even if I wanted to take control, there was nothing for me to take. And so... When I look at that, I say that warning sign was a gift because today I'm a more balanced person. I slowed down. I appreciate things in life. I'm a better husband, a better father. And, and so I, that couldn't have happened with that warning sign not coming. And so I choose to look at my anxiety as a gift, even though it's caused me so much struggle um, and, and just hard work in my life. And and it's just, it's been a long road. No, I, I completely agree. But for me, it was a little, 
it was a little bit of a phased approach. I would say immediately when I started feeling some panic, anxiety, um, the the immediate red flag that I saw was a warning sign. It was that you need to change, right? You need to change your habits. Um, you know, I remember one day um, worshiping in church on Sunday, and I had no idea why, but I was absolutely sobbing. Hmm. And I'm not a very emotional individual. Mm-hmm. And my wife is looking at me like, what is going on? Get a hold of yourself. Yeah, and I can't st- I can't stop sobbing, right? Mm-hmm. And 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 she um she gives gives our, our baby to my mother in law and just hugs me and I and I just can't stop sobbing. And at the end of worshiping and, and listening to the message on the way home I started crying again. She said, what's going on? And, and I said, I think God just made it very apparent to me this morning that my job and my career has become my God and that God is not my God because all of these things that I'm feeling, um, these, this anxiousness, the, the tightness in my chest, the headache, the dizziness, the un- inability to sleep, all uh, all stems from the fact that there's so much going on at work and in my career and that I'm I'm so worried about it. And so for me it was absolutely step 1 was a warning sign. I had to I had to create some boundaries at work. Um I had to create better boundaries between work and home. I had to make my uh, my relationship with God a priority, grow closer to him and I had to make my family a bigger priority. And then secondly, as I as I progressed through that, I also saw it as a gift. And I would have never thought the feelings that I felt um, it, physically, the feelings that I felt mentally, emotionally would have been a gift. But you're, you're totally, totally right, Brian. As you mentioned, I mean, what does it say in the Bible? God opposes, opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. And the gift that was given to me through anxiety was I had to realize that I wasn't in control and I had to be humbled and realize that I needed God, and that I needed more of God, and I needed less of myself and less of controlling things, but more of releasing control over my children and my wife and my job and my career and the next 18 years of my life and needing to be here for my, my, my baby's graduation, releasing that to God. And that's become a gift in my life that I've accepted. And so when, when you can take the anxiety that you're feeling and reposition it to be a positive thing in your life, um, it, it, it's it's been it's been one of the greatest gifts, which is crazy to, to mm-hmm. say, for sure. Yeah, you wouldn't. I don't think any one of us, in the midst of our panic attacks, would have would have thought that it was a gift. I think at the time it felt like the worst thing that had ever happened to me. Felt like I was being punished. Yeah. Right. Yeah. But looking back on it. You know, for me, it's been a few years, Peter. It's been about a year for you, maybe a little less than that for you, Zach. Mm-hmm. Looking back on it, I think we all can look back and say, man, just like Paul, like, like in my weakness, God is seen to be strong. And, and we needed this lesson. This was a gift. Vulnerability was a gift. And we've talked about this before, but Peter, wouldn't you say that even your vulnerability, that it even changed your relationship with your wife? Because I know a lot of men out there listening are thinking, I can't be vulnerable. I've got to be the strong guy. I've got to be the, I've got to be the one in control, right? Someone's got to be in control. My kids need to be in, need me to be in control. My wife needs to, me to be in control. If I show weakness, it's going to 
take me down a couple notches. It's going to ruin my marriage. It's going to ruin even the way my kids look at me. What would you say to that, Peter? Yeah, I'd just say it's all, it's all false. I mean, weakness has just been misdefined in our society. Um, I think weakness is a strength because weakness is being vulnerable. And I think when we're be- being vulnerable, we're being honest. And if we can be honest about where we're at in that moment and that time, um, whether you're strong, whether you're weak, whatever it is, if you're being honest with another individual and that individual's your wife, good things are going to come from it. And, and so I found myself being drawn a lot closer um, to my wife, where, where it just be, it became a strength in our marriage. And then from there, the vulnerability just allowed me to open up to, to friends, to coworkers, people in the community that we could just share a cup of coffee and I could just share a little bit of my story and I could just immediately see someone put their guard down and start to, to share about their, their story. And um, that could never happen unless God's hand was in it. And that's what was, was cool for me. I'd, I'd come home from work and I'd just be like, Tyra, I just had another conversation with someone at work and you're not going to believe this. And I'd share something that happened. And, it, you know, we had no idea it was going on. Mm. And then as a family, we were able to, to you know, help that, that family or show up or be there. But that doesn't happen if you don't let those walls come down mm-hmm. and, and just be vulnerable. So I think it's just a, a misconception in our society that, that being weak is sometime, somehow bad. Mm. Yeah, yeah, let me read again what Paul said. He said, for when I am weak, then I am strong. He's redefining weakness, isn't he? He's saying, my weakness is my strength because it's in my... The reason isn't because he's strong. Sure. The reason is because in, in... Like he said, each time Jesus said to him, my grace is all you need. My power works best in weakness, not in Christ's weakness. My power works best in your weakness. When you're weak, I can use you, is what Jesus was saying to Paul. And this is what he's, I think, what he said to all of us is in your weakness, you, I, my power is on display in your marriage, it, at work, the people that you're trying to impact at work with your kids. When you're weak, that's where I can do my work, is what Jesus was saying. And, and the reality is, it took. It took this, the um, the claustrophobia. It took the stuff, Peter, with your lung. It took me feeling like I was having a heart attack to make us realize that we really are weak, mm. right? And the reality is, without Jesus, we are weak, right? And so, and so, it it caused us to to take that guard down and not be prideful, be a little bit more humble, and say that God, we we do need you, right? I hope that those of you listening, it doesn't take what it took us to realize how we're really weak, yeah, right. right? I hope you don't have to go through that, but um, but if you are going through that right now, hopefully that's one thing that you can realize is that um, without God and without Jesus, you are you are not strong. Mm. You are weak. We are weak individuals. Yeah, and thank God for that revelation. Say like say with Paul, thank you for the thorn. I needed this thorn. To learn this lesson, because I don't think Paul, from what we know about Paul, I don't, I don't think Paul could have learned. Paul was a control freak, and I don't think he could have really learned the lesson without. I mean, if you think about his story, like he was humbled so many times in his story. He was this arrogant Pharisee who thought he had it all together and realized he didn't. And so then he meets Jesus, and Jesus says, "You're, you're, you're actually supporting the wrong team here." And Jesus recruits him over onto Team Jesus, and Paul ends up. I mean, really just humbling himself and having to, having to 
work alongside these people that he was just persecuting, fishermen and tax collectors whom he didn't respect previously. And now Jesus is humbling him, saying, this is who I use. These are the kinds of people I use. And whatever this thorn in the flesh was, I'm still going to hold on to it that it was anxiety or maybe depression. Maybe he was having panic attacks like we were. Whatever it was, this was yet one more thing in his life that got his attention because maybe he started getting proud again. It got his attention to say, wait a second, I'm not in control. God's in control. I'm weak. He's strong. This is all about him. This is never about me. And I think Paul learned that lesson. You know, Paul wasn't the only one who learned the lesson. It's, we have this cool story from the book of Isaiah. The prophet Isaiah learned the same lesson because in Isaiah's time, King Uzziah was king over Israel, and it says in verse Isaiah chapter 6, verse 1, that King Uzziah died. Okay, it says, it was, I'm going to read it, Isaiah 6, 1, it was in the year King Uzziah died that I saw the Lord. That's what Isaiah said. He didn't see the Lord until King Uzziah died, which is interesting. It says he was sitting on a lofty throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Here's the cool thing about that vision. I think it took Uzziah dying for Isaiah to open his eyes to who was really in charge all along. I mean, think about it. Uzziah was on the throne for 52 years. His reign had brought peace and prosperity like the nation hadn't known really since the time of King David. And so life was good, and then Uzziah dies. And maybe some of us can relate to this. Life's, and then something happened. Your, your lung collapses or whatever, or you start having pan, panic attacks. And this is when Isaiah had eyes to see what he needed to see. And to me, this is, this is really what control freaks need to hear. I hope you can get this vision that God is on the throne of your life. You are not on the throne of your life. You never were. You never will be. God was, you know, Zach, before you started having panic attacks, God was in charge. God cares about your kids more than you do. And to, know, to realize that, to recognize that, that God is still on the throne Man, what a vision that Isaiah had, and I think that's a vision some people need to have too. Max Lucado, author, explains it like this. He said, Uzziah's throne was empty, but God's was occupied. Uzziah's reign had ended, but God's had not. Uzziah's voice was silent, but God's was strong. He was and is alive on the throne and worthy of endless worship. God calmed the fears of Isaiah, not by removing the problem, but by revealing his divine power and presence. What a, I'm going to read that last part again, because I... Uh, that's, so, that's such a powerful statement, is that God calmed the fears of Isaiah not by removing the problem. He didn't raise Uzziah from the dead. He didn't remove the problem, but he revealed his divine power and presence. And that's what I think we can learn in the midst of our anxiety, is not, not to necessarily even ask him to remove the anxiety, but to say, God, reveal yourself, show me that you're still in charge and that you always were. And, and I think... I mean, one thing to relate, and, and my, my guess is all three of us probably feel the same way, but when we were praying for God to remove our anxiety, he didn't remove our anxiety. He revealed things to us in the midst of it that caused us to change things that ultimately removed our anxiety or suppressed that anxiety, right? God's not, God's not just going to take your anxiety away from you if mm -hmm. you pray for it to be taken away. Right, because there's things above and beyond that that are causing that anxiety to be there. Um, so I think that's one thing to realize is that uh, in this day and age that we, uh, we need a, an immediate response from our children, immediate control over it. We can't, we can't 
control our children. We can't control our spouse. We can't control God. Hmm. We can't just ask God to remove that feeling from your chest or your heart or your mind, and it's going to happen. Most likely, there's something more than that that needs to change. Hmm. And through this, he will reveal that. Yeah, Peter, for you, you know, it's been about, what, 15, 14, 15 months since your lung collapsed. Would you, how often do you experience like panic attacks or anxiety now compared to, you know, 14 months ago? Well, I I still experience them. It's just a different experience. And so um, I think when it happens now, I have this toolkit that I can go to, Mm -hmm. um, prayer and, and, and Christian music. And one of the things we talk about anxiety, acknowledging it, um, not suppressing it, not pushing it aside, acknowledging that it's real and it's happening, and then start to, to just do a body scan or a check-in of like, why is it happening? Like, what's going on? How are you doing? Do you feel okay? Um, and just running through it. So it's gotten a lot better. I'd say a year ago at this time, I, was, uh, I, I didn't see light at the end of the tunnel. Like there were days that were as dark as as they could ever be. Um, and to be sitting here a year later um, and to, to be able to be talking about this in, in the hopes of helping others is, is a miracle mm-hmm. that only God's hand could be in. Mm-hmm. And so I, I, I want to make sure that, that that's encouraging to people that, that there is light at the end of the tunnel, but it, like Zach says, it's, it's usually not going to happen overnight. Mm-hmm. It's, it's a little bit of a path, and, and there's work that's involved. And God's got to be at the center of it. Yeah, and embrace it because God wants to teach you something every step of the way. So don't don't have the expect. I guess the reason I, I want to be practical here with our stories is because I want people to not have the wrong expectations. Like, okay, good. If I do A, B, and C, it'll go. That's the secret. It'll go away. I won't deal with anxiety anymore. That's an, to me. I think that's probably unrealistic. Um, that's probably not most people's experience. And I think what we're saying is it's not our experience. I mean, Zach, for you, how off, how, how has your anxiety changed? Has it gone away? And how has it changed? No, no, it hasn't gone away. I would say it's um, significantly less impactful to my daily life mm-hmm. uh, because I don't, I don't necessarily let it control me and I, and I focus on other things. Um, but I, I still see certain triggers yeah. that that start to trigger that flutter in my in my chest and and that feeling in my mind um but but ultimately peter just like you mentioned i i have several several things that i do to get out of that mode of focusing on it right of focusing on something oh once you focus on something so much you're almost will it to happen hmm. right i um i i focus more on on others right i focus more on god I focus externally instead of internally, which really helps me get out of that mode of overthinking and basically causing panic mm-hmm. to happen. Right. Right. Like I really, I really think it's it's so mental. Our brains are so powerful that we can think about something so much that we just cause it to happen. Even though it's probably really not happening, we think that it's happening. Yeah. If that makes sense, right? Well, yeah, it's, I think they call it a fear of fear response. Is your you something triggered something, right? So Peter, for you, it's probably like you maybe you, you feel short of breath for a few minutes, and you're like, oh, oh, oh no, like my my lung must have yep. collapsed again, and so it's a fear of fear, 
It's so there's a little bit of fear that's planted in your mind. Nothing really changed, but there's a little fear planted in your mind, and that it's a cycle. It just makes you more and more afraid, and you just kind of get in this loop. We're actually going to talk about this next week when in, in another section in Philippians 4, Peter talks about how to capture your thoughts and what to think about, because I think rumination is something that I've dealt with in my life as I lay there and I get these cycles going in my head and I start thinking about this thing and ruminating on it and that just that just intensifies this fear of fear response. So we'll we'll talk more about that next week for sure. But I think for today what I want people to know is is you you cannot expect that anxiety is just going to go away when you do all these things. Instead, what you need to recognize is that anxiety is a gift. That anxiety teaches you dependence. That's a good thing. That's not a bad thing. It teaches you to so so to learn to. I know this is going to sound crazy for some people, but to learn to embrace your anxiety, not to be afraid of it, not to run from it when you feel it, when it triggers. Like to, I think one of the things you said, Zach, is I lean into it now. Like I, because I I know that really resonated with me because for me, my initial remember that that anxiety cycle is. You you trigger you get triggered with anxiety and then you stuff it you run away from it you want to be but no I think what we're talking about is how about you embrace it and say this is a good thing because it it's going to be a a teacher for me it's going to be a tool from God to teach me so I'm going to I'm going to examine my anxiety I'm going to put it on the table and say what are you all about what why am I why am I feeling anxious right now why am I feeling afraid why do I feel dread right now. Like, don't be afraid to look at that because it's actually a gift from God. Our anxiety really is. Yeah, that, that phrase, that two-word phrase, lean in, kind of became a little mantra of mine when I was really going through it. When I could feel that feel that coming on, I just encouraged myself to lean into it, right? And to, to truly think about it and not shove it aside, stuff it, ignore it. I think we need to acknowledge what we're truly feeling, right? Um, it's and, and Peter, back to one thing that you mentioned about it, it taking time and needing to take kind of a holistic approach to it. The last time I went to my primary care physician, I think it, it might have been like five or six weeks ago. It was, I think it might have been a 10 o'clock appointment and, and him and I were sitting down talking pretty quickly and, and talking about exactly this. And, and I was telling him the books that I had been reading and the podcasts that I had been listening to and, and the, the guys and you guys that I had been talking to. Mm-hmm. And, and he looked at me and he said, you're, you're going to, you're going to get through this. Mm. He said, I've already met with three people this morning before this 10 o'clock appointment. And the first thing, and the only thing they said to me was, I need a pill that takes us away. Mm. That's, that's all they wanted. They just wanted a pill that took it away. And you, you're, you're approaching it from such a different angle that, and you're driven towards like, you're going to get, you're going to get through it. Right. And you've embraced it. But there is no pill that just takes this away. That, that, that it doesn't happen. So that was encouraging to, mm-hmm. to hear that. But I, you know, I think there's a lot of you out there right now and, and a lot that I've read through statistics in the country and in the world that uh, are probably struggling with this. And one thing to realize is um, medication is a beneficial thing, but it's not the end all be all. Right. Right. It might be a part of the solution, right. that, but that's it. That's it. Yeah, that's what the that's what the my physician said to me when I was like, just that. Give me something to take this away, <laughs> and uh, I'll be honest. Like that's what that's how desperate I was. And he said to me, "Okay, look, I'll give you some stuff, but here's the thing: 
this isn't the long-term solution. Like you need to figure this out. You know, Peter, I think what you, the way you say it is you need some tools in your toolbox here. You need to wrap your, you need to step into this, lean into this and not run away from this. You know, he was saying you should go see a counselor. And I, you know, I would recommend that for people who are listening, but maybe even more valuable than a counselor is just people in your world that you're honest with people that you're vulnerable, a wife, your kids, friends, like, like guys like this, maybe you're listening to this in a men's group or with a mentor. That's a huge part of that, of that victory is learning how to put it on the table and be honest about it. Because I think that's when it, that's when it loses, you know, the enemy wants to gain control over you and he loves to gain control in the shadows and the darkness. He wants to, he wants you to be isolated and, the opposite of that then is community. Let anxiety drive you into community to learn to learn how to be honest with other men, uh, with with your family, and certainly with God, and say I'm not going to be afraid to talk about this and to be vulnerable about this, and that that's where your victory comes. And I you know I want to close just on a practical note. I want to go back to Philippians four, kind of where we started you know today. Because the question some people might have, okay, so then on a practical level, what is Paul saying for me if I'm a control freak? And the answer is really simple. It's right there in verse 4. I want to go back to it. It says, he says, always be full of joy in the Lord. I say it again, rejoice. So let's connect that to this idea of control. When you realize that you're not in control, I want people to hear this. When you realize that you're not in control of your life, you can you can rejoice in the one who is in control in your life. That's what Paul's saying. Be full of joy in the Lord. I say it again, rejoice. It's really interesting. Philippians is this crazy letter. I encourage people to go read it for yourself. It's written by Paul from prison, and the theme, it shows up over and over again. The theme is joy. How can a guy be writing a letter from prison? I know this is a question I ask, because I don't think I would be joyful from prison. I'm claustrophobic. I think I'd have a hard time. (laughs) How can a guy be so focused on joy from prison. And he's writing to a church to a church to these Christians in this in this era where they're being they're suffering, they're being being persecuted, right? And yet his message to them is I want he I want you to be joyful in the Lord. I want you to rejoice in the Lord. It's like he's saying instead of being anxious, I want you to make a decision to rejoice in the Lord. If you want to get, if you want to have freedom from your dungeon of doubt and depression and anxiety, then the on a practical level, learn to rejoice. We talked a little bit about this last week with the secret, right? Because we one of the things he says in verse seven or six or seven is he says, he says, be thankful. And that's really what he's saying here is I want you to learn to be thankful. I want you to, you know, there's two di- two ways you can look at this. You can say all this stuff that's going on at work or at home or whatever, and I have no control over any of it, and it's freaking me out. Or you can say, you know what? God is in control. He's on the throne. He was on the throne before all this stuff hit the fan. He's still on the throne now, and I'm going to make a different decision, and I'm going to make a list of the things that I can rejoice in the Lord about. I'm going re- to thank God for my marriage. I'm going to thank God for my job. I'm going to thank God for my kids. I'm going to thank God that he's on the throne. I'm going to thank him that he's in charge and I'm not. And that's a good thing because I, I'm not strong enough to be in charge. And this, is, I think, is what Paul's getting at. He's saying, rejoice in the Lord. That's the solution. Yeah, I can recall my prayers becoming <clears throat> so much more centered on thanking God 
not only for the things that were in my life right now, but for the things that I already know that he knows that I don't even have a clue about yet, mm. the things that are coming. And so I went from being someone who would pray and, and almost ask God for what I needed or what I thought I needed and just flip that to, mm. to just being grateful for taking a breath this morning, mm. being grateful that I, I have two lungs that are holding air this morning, being grateful that as I drive through Sardine Canyon, the, the mountains have snow on them and the leaves are still red and orange and, and just really just praying for just God's beauty and, and what God's given us um, and it's just changed my, my whole outlook on everything. Like, I'm just calmer. I just have peace. Um, I feel protected. I feel covered. And it's just such a different prayer life. And really, that, that came from my struggle with anxiety, mm -hmm. my battle. Yeah, that, um, that, that concept of, of thankful, I mean, thankfulness, I go back to, to that verse and one um, one version says, "Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, with thankfulness, present your request to God." So, so, so what what Paul is saying there is, be thankful about everything, right? Not just about things that make us comfortable, things that are good, mm. things that make us happy, right? But be thankful about everything. Um, and and as I as I go back, and Peter, this might resonate with you a little bit, um, but as I go back and look at um, a, one of the darker seasons of my life over the past year, and I look at specifically, for me, anxiety would come about or come to fruition at specific times during the day. And for me, it was when I would lay my head down on the pillow at night and when it was dark and um, both my wife and I were exhausted with kids and work like all of you are, and she would most of the time go right to sleep and I would most of the time just stare up at this up at the ceiling and I would and I would pray and my my I would ruminate my mind would go all over the place and what where I would go would I would freak out about not waking up the next day mm. for my kids yeah. for my wife for my family I have no idea why right but that's where I would go mm -hmm. and the there was a song worship has been big for me but there's a song with a specific verse that was huge and, and the verse is, it's your breath in my lungs. And the reality that I had to come to every night as my head was on the pillow, worried and freaking out about stopping breathing that night and not waking up the next morning was, it's not my breath. I'm not the one breathing. If you think about what we're doing during this podcast, if you think about what you do during church all day, we are not actively thinking about breathing. Just like you said earlier in the mm -hmm. podcast, God is the one who's sustaining us, mm -hmm. right? And so for me, that was kind of like the simplest way of boiling it down to, I can't breathe on my own. God has to breathe for me. So I need God for everything mm -hmm. else, mm -hmm. right? I can't do the simplest thing in life and breathe on my own. And that just, you know, that kind of boiled over to, to a, a, lot of, a lot of different things, uh, continuing to be, to be thankful. And, and one other thing for me when it came to prayer, especially at night while I was lying in bed, was I think I, I don't know if this is truly the case or not, but I, I believe that prayer is for us and it's not for God. God does not need us to pray. God needs us to pray for us. And what God revealed to me at night while laying in bed, while being anxious, worried about not waking up the next day, was where my heart was really at. Because I would cry out to God for specific things, and God would show me 
where my heart was by what I was crying out to him for. Mm. And it wasn't, thank you, God, for this day. It was, God, I pray that I get the next day. Mm. Right? And it just, it was humbling to, to go back to the point of, yeah, thank you, God, for this day. I don't know what tomorrow brings, but the good thing is you're in control and not me. Mm-hmm. So th- those were some of the hardest, hardest, longest nights, but some of the richest as well. Yeah, it's, it's like we have to, I think God wants us to learn to stop praying for our best life now, <laughs> to start praying for his best for us. And if his best for you right now, if the thing that he has, if the gift that he's given you right now is anxiety to teach you to lean on him, then thank him for the anxiety. You know, maybe some of you need to make that your prayer. Listening to you guys talk about rejoicing, someone might be out there saying, "I well, you guys have stuff to rejoice about. I don't have anything to rejoice about. I think that's baloney. You, if you've got a bigger problem than you realize, if you don't, if you can't make a list of things to rejoice about, everyone has stuff that you can look at and say, this is a gift from you, God. And so some people just need to recognize that. I, so I just want to encourage you, if you're out there listening, if you're a control freak, lean into your anxiety. Listen to it. Let it become your teacher. And here's a lesson that you learn. You are not in control. You never have been, just like Uzziah on the throne, like what Isaiah learned when Uzziah died. God has always been on the throne, and that's worth celebrating. Now, to talk about this with your family, with your group or your mentor, if you want to share this with somebody that you think could really benefit from today's podcast, you can find all of this online at pursuegod.org forward slash anxious. The entire series is there, and we'll hope you'll join us next time, because next time we're going to come together, we're going to talk a little bit about what to do when your mind keeps racing, because I know that's a big part of anxiety for us, that ruminating. Paul has something to say about that as well in Philippians chapter 4, so join us next time. 